Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Okay, hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Picard edition, and I'm your host, Michael Flores, and today we're going to be discussing and breaking down Star Trek Picard, season two, episode seven, titled Monsters. And on the bridge with me, aka the studio, to discuss and break down is Ensign David. Hello. Hello, everybody. Are you ready, Dave? I am all set. This is going to be a very interesting episode. (laughs) Discussion, right? Yes. Yeah. Lots to get through, kind of. Kind of. It's a very strange episode because there were some very dense aspects, very, just a lot to, to break through. But then after that, outside of that, it was relatively simple. It was simple. There was, uh, you know, like there was a lot of uh, complex concepts that were they were trying to throw in this episode. But then when you broke away from those concepts, the writing just reverted back to... I think that's the best way to put it is like, it's more simple. Yeah. Which is more simple. It's more simple. Any other way make, I was like thinking to myself makes it sound like I'm going to bash the episode and I'm not. The episode was written decently. It was a capable episode. It was a capable episode, but well, we'll get there when we we get there. We got, we got a lot to get through David. So, okay. If you're a new listener, we cover a wide variety of star Trek content and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the holodeck. Please give us a review as well as a rating, a five-star rating, as it does help trigger algorithms and more people find our show. Mike might change me from ensign to at least a lieutenant. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. maybe. Or you might just be a forever ensign like Ensign Kim. <laughs> if you keep acting up, Dave, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. And I'm also going to take away your holographic, holographic, holodeck, holodeck privileges. Pass. Yes. <laughs> Which, listen, we all know that your holodeck privileges basically are just your masturbation privileges. So oh, you're yeah. going to lose that. <laughs> I'll have to go like Stone Age for my masturbation purposes. Yeah, you have to use the old noggin. Just old what's noggin. In, the, yeah, the old spank bank. <laughs> All right. So this episode was directed by Joe Mendez and written by Jane Maggs. Episode seven got to work immediately out the gate, laying down a groundwork for what would seemingly be an interesting type of Cartesian way in which they explored Picard's subconscious uh, while also using the famous Socratic motto, know thyself to crack open the mystery pertaining to the trauma Picard obviously harbors within his mind. Now, this is by far one of the more personal Picard stories we've ever been given. Oh, yeah. I I 100% agree with you. From the get-go, this is what the feelings you should have had in season one. 
it's called Picard. We need to know about the character, you know, and what his inner inner thinkings are. And it's hard with a character like Picard because he's not the talking type. Yeah, but that that's what makes it intriguing when you get to dive into a character like that because... And also the way they did it. It's very similar to like how you have great films that dive into biographical fi- figures like... Patton. Patton's an excellent movie, but it dives into a character, into a persona that really never says a lot. You just learn from his actions what type of person he is. So the ability to actually do stories on characters like that and dive into their characteristics is just, it leads to really great storytelling. And that's what, that's what Picard season two started off on. It's like, okay, we know they, they, they brought up, to the forefront Picard's issues, social issues that basically he has problems being close to everyone. And that harkens back to a major thing that me and you have gone back and forth about, about Picard is his inability to really connect with people outside of being a captain. Yeah. And that's why the way they went about this episode, writing this episode, it worked because it placed the character Picard in a position of vulnerability. Yes. That would otherwise be difficult to do because of the established characterization of what 20 plus years of Captain Picard stories. Mm-hmm. So this episode overall was okay. It wasn't the best episode of the season by any means, but the way they explored Picard's inner thoughts was a great way to flesh out pivotal story threads that would otherwise be difficult to express as you were alluding to it would have been clumsy it would have it would have been very clumsy from a writing standpoint and completely out of character if Picard had just decided to share his deepest and most guarded childhood trauma exactly so in that respect the episode did an adequate job what I'd like to do Dave is explore the way the writer of this episode, Jane Maggs, utilized two different but similar, to a degree, philosophical systems of thought. Okay. Okay. That she utilized within her writing strategy. Firstly, is the Cartesian, which in this context is simply an adjective that describes the ideas of the French philosopher Rene Descartes, which if you guys have heard me say that various times, that's who I'm talking about when I say Cartesian who, and just to keep it simple uh, in his book of meditations, Descartes, he examined his inner consciousness so deeply that he discards his belief in everything. And then step-by-step attempts to work his way back to belief or to believe in what can be known For sure. That was the entire purpose of his method within his book known as simply the meditations. And that famous phrase, cogito, ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, are taken from those very same meditations, which I feel like most people have heard that saying at some point in their life. Now, this episode of Picard utilizes his method, the Cartesian method of elimination in the sense that it communes, or I should say Picard communes with his consciousness in the form of his father, much like Descartes in his meditations, slowly eliminating the truth 
from fabrication. Yes. Give me one second. I'm having problems with my mic. Okay. So let just to reiterate, to rephrase, uh, this episode of Picard utilizes the method of elimination in the sense that he communes with his consciousness yes. in the form of his father, which is very similar to what Descartes did, does or did in his meditations, which he slowly eliminates the truth from fabrication. And that's exactly what Picard did in this episode as he is having this back and forth with his own consciousness. And the fabrications too, the, the, the one way that you can make this story work is to make the fabrications believable, logically believable. And like when you take a look at like what Picard is going through and when you get to the final answer, it makes sense because the fabrications who, who cannot relate to the idea of a child trying to actually understand what's in front of him and then writing their own story as a child would. And also there's already the challenge of an adult trying to recall childhood memories. Yes. Many times they're not accurate. Oh yeah. We fill in the gaps with, that's what our brain does. It fills in the gaps with make-believe things that we can't recall it merges memories to fill in those gaps. That's how our brain works. Well, also not just things that we, can, we can't recall, but things we also want to repress, things we don't want to accept. Yeah, and, and that's why I really, really dug the strategy that the writer used in this episode, mm -hmm. you know, philosophical thought to break down the conscious mind in a way that actually makes sense in a real world practical sense this is what people say you should do you should delve into your mind and try to let go of everything that you think is true and then reconstruct the truth based on what you actually physically and mentally know yes and then that way you create a more realistic image of your past as well as who you are as a person and that goes into the second philosophical system that was used as inspiration for the, um, for that moment in Picard where he is talking to himself. And it's the classic philosophical aphorism, know thyself. Know thyself, yeah. Uh, this is a Socratic way of examining one's life. And the term Socratic is simply the adjective that describes the ideas relating to Socrates' philosophical thoughts. And much of Western philosophy goes back to the Socratic method, which is to some degree what Descartes used in his method of elimination that would lead him to truth. Yeah. So now we, so now that we understand the methods or sources of philosophical inspiration that the writers utilize, we can understand to a greater degree the story we are being told. So this is an invitation to introspection, yeah. which is what... This goes right back to the very beginning of the season, or let's go back to the very beginning of TNG. This invitation to introspection is what Q continues to beg Picard to do. Yes. This invitation is connected to the platonic theory of reminiscence. Wisdom is not found in forgetting or ignoring, but in learning to recollect, which is what Picard did in this episode. And by doing so, as we saw in the episode, Picard had somewhat of an epiphany. He came to the conclusion that he must put Q to the test, that Q's fixation with him 
is motivated by something else, something possibly dealing with Q. Q. That's the genius of this episode yeah. is that through these, me- these methods of philosophical systems, Picard comes to the realization that the answer has been in front of him the whole time and that this may not necessarily have anything to do with him per se, but Q himself. Yes. Now, just to briefly emphasize the writing strategy, the writers utilize this Socratic method effectively. The idea to know thyself in some regards is about the dialogue between the soul and itself. The soul mean, means your consciousness, not your actual metaphysical soul or your spiritual soul, but your consciousness and the individual. So between the soul and itself means your consciousness and the individual, which is what we saw in this episode that was manifested by Picard's conversation with himself, but the manifestation, the image was of his father. And we saw this through the use of visual metaphor, which was the conversation, as I just mentioned. Now, these questions are ideas presented by Socrates's Socrates aids in discovering the truth we have in ourselves. Do you realize that basically that the whole conflict of this whole season, everyone's been simply thinking that the conflict is between Q messing around with the time frame. That's, that's what the conflict, the, the story conflict of the entire season is about. But in actuality, the conflict is actually within Picard because ever since the beginning, it started with Q and Q challenging Picard, you know, to know, to know thyself, Picard. How many times have we heard him say that? Know thyself. And then when you get to Guinan and Guinan's like going, you know, there are a lot of things me and you have shared, but there's always that one thing you do not want to talk about. And then like you, you see even Guinan is trying to get Picard to think and that's where the a secondary conflict happens. And then you you get to this, then Picard is faced with the true conflict. Yeah, and that's why I like how they did it. Because the entire idea of this branch of philosophy is about examining yourself. And yes. through, through objective examination, which objective examination is very hard. Most of us, I would say most of the world we live a very subjective life. It, it takes, all of us do. It's, it's impossible not to, but it takes great effort to live an objective life. It's very hard. And most people go their entire life without living an objective life. Most people live within the subjective. We yes. have our own subjective truths, our subjective faiths, our subjective ideas. And we very rarely try to look at the objective side of things and that is what this method of philosophy is designed to do and do you realize do you realize dude that in itself that's how this entire season began because picard was looking at his own life subjectively he was looking at i am the last picard this is the this is how my my lineage will end and that whole speech which was grandiose and epic but it is, it, it is based on an argument that is subjective. It's based solely on him instead of actually looking at it philosophically, objectively. Mm-hmm. And then here he's forced to do the, do the one thing that is very difficult. It's actually to – it's one of those things that I don't think majority of people really do grasp nowadays is like there's more to philosophy than just basically barking out your own thoughts. 
you have to understand your own thoughts, but you have to look at them objectively. You cannot just base it on subjective. I can't base my ideas on the senses, like what you mentioned earlier about Descartes and how the whole argument of I think, therefore I am started in three processes. He had to actually break down the fact that your normal senses can lie to you in three different ways. So you have to break past those barriers and find out the truth. Yep. And here, and that's exactly, that's what, what Picard that's what they did. did. Yeah. And that's why this episode gave me a philosophy boner. Cause I'm like, holy shit, they're really delving into this type of stuff. I was cracking up because like, uh, I, I watched the episode and then one of my philosophy podcasts and shows that I always watch just started bringing up about whole, the whole Descartes thing. Yeah. And I, 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 it helped me actually look at this episode in a different way because I think that basically this is what Star Trek has always been about. This is what Star Trek's all about. And I think that this is what the writers were aiming for. My issue is I don't think, I don't think fans will gravitate towards. No, it. no, you're right. They, no, I mean, don't. it's, Yes, David, I know where you're going, but let's hold on to that. Yeah, let's hold on, let's to, hold on that. to that because I want to, uh, that's something that me and you want to rant on and later, but it's kind of like if you take a step back and you objectively look at the writing, it's written really well. The philosophical side of this episode is very effective. So and, many people have tried, Mike. Yeah. Me and you have seen scripts and movies where they have tried and they have failed miserably. Well, that was my one of my biggest problems with last season for Picard. I don't want to become negative because I'm, for the most part, I'm enjoying the season and there's no reason to hearken back to negativity. However, just for the purpose of this discussion, I feel like it's necessary to draw some comparisons. Yeah. There were so many missed opportunities for the philosophical. They mm-hmm. never quite delved into that and they could have with data's consciousness with the creation of new life with the golem body that picard was put into you could have i could write five episodes right now about whether or not picard is truly himself or he is just a dim reflection of himself what makes a man a man yeah. Or a person, a person, their, their brain, their consciousness. How do you transport consciousness? Something that we don't actually understand to this day. We don't fully understand how consciousness forms. So how do you replicate that and put that into a body? That was a missed opportunity that the writers absolutely. of Star Trek could have totally delved into. Oh, absolutely. Whereas this season, they're not letting those philosophical breadcrumbs Drop. just sit there. Yeah, they're not letting it sit there. They're they're actually dealing with it. Yeah. And I think that they're dealing with it much better than Michael Shaban. And I, I and objectively, I'm taking a step back and saying, me and you have gone uh, have made fun of Shaban throughout the entire th- entire seasons that me and you have done this show. It's more of a joke at this point. And I know. I know for a fact that Michael Shaban can can write. He is a writer. The problem is when you're dealing with philosophical writing, that is one of the most challenging things to do because if you do it incorrectly, you will look like you are a simpleton. David, I was going to say my 14-year-old can write his name, and he's not a writer. 
But um, <laughs> does that make him a writer? <laughs> but we all can write. Does it, does it mean you have the skill to write? Doesn't mean you have the skills to write. Yeah. So everything we have d- discussed and broken down up to this point pertaining to the the Cartesian and Socratic methods of philosophy, it all leads to a question, a singular question that remains, and that is why. Yes. Why does Q want Picard to know thyself? Why did he feel the need? And I believe Picard actually said this in the episode. After all these years, why did Q feel, feel, the, feel the need to come back and yet again ask Picard to know thyself, to explore your consciousness and truly examine yourself objectively? Why does Q care whether Picard examines his life and accepts his truths? Well, that was the question they posed at the end of this episode. Yes. And I'm assuming next episode we're going to get to it. We do have that little FBI debacle that might throw a wrench in getting to that question right away. But uh, if you think about it, Mike, think about all the breadcrumbs that they've laid out since episode one. We've been thinking that Picard's the one on trial, right? No, the person on trial after this episode, when you even when you get to the very end, I realized Picard's not on trial. It's Q. Q's on trial. He's the one that basically has to has to literally face that question, that philosophical question of Descartes. I, you know, the whole point is why? Why Q? You can't. And and I guarantee you, when you look at, go back and watch episode one. Watch the 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 thunderous dialogue between him and Picard in the very beginning when Picard asks him. You're not well. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the, the 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 challenge of cues is suddenly flipped on him, and suddenly he gets really defensive. Yeah. Here, Guinan and Guinan and Picard try to stage a so uh, a what essentially to me was an intervention. They tried to call Q. <laughs> well, he's trying to take the fight to Q now. Yeah. Instead of being the one being questioned, he's flipping he, it on. He's Q. flipping on Q, and he's he's doing a quote unquote. To me, it's an intervention on Q, and then, but Q does not answer. Why? Because he doesn't, doesn't want to face the question. I don't think he can answer, Dave. I don't think he has power anymore. Well, yeah, yeah. Simply, simply put, but when you think about the concept of Q not wanting to question himself, yeah, not wanting to ask answer himself, what is wrong with him? I think his arrogance as a super being does in fact think that way. But there's also a part of him that I feel wants Picard to be the one to make Q make himself face his own questions yeah. because it goes back to every single episode. If you go through the, the years and all the episodes that Q has popped up in and we have, we've actually done Patreon discussions on various episodes, breaking down Q's purpose, how he's such an excellent, he, he's, he serves one point. There's only one point to Q and he's a philosophical writing device. That's it. He always has been. And what has he always tried to get Picard to do? To examine himself, to look inward. Look inward. All the time. And if that's the question, the ultimate question that they're trying to bring uh, a a finality to, is that the word? Finality? Finality. If that's what they're trying to do to tie up all those loose ends and to, to bring absolute closure to Q's intent and purpose, 
And it's all tied into Picard needing to look inward, fully discovering who he is. And in some way, at the end of that, at the end of this self-discovery for Picard is an answer to Q's own problems. Or perhaps in order for Q to face his problems, he knows that he needs Picard to be the one that he needs to look inward in order to achieve that. I feel like that's the direction we're going in. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's villainous. I don't think Q has a true villainous intent. It would feel very out of character. Now he may be doing some questionable things because he's sick and he might not be in complete control of his mental faculties. So that might play a part as well. I think so. Because especially when you make the idea of Picard, especially with the mom aspect where she was mentally ill and Picard didn't want to face it. It almost runs in parallel with, with Q Q could be mentally ill, Mm -hmm. unquote mentally ill. If that's the theme, right. That that's kind of guiding some of this. Then. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Sorry. And and did I throw you off? (laughs) No, 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 no. You didn't throw me off. Basically like, at the end, that's what it's going to lead to is basically Picard showing empathy to Q and trying to say, hey, I understand you. I understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm here to help as best as I can. Because yeah. if this turns into a, a story about how to deal with mental illness, Star Trek is the perfect, perfect franchise to deal with stuff like that. They really are. It, it really is. And I'm, I'm starting to think that there is greater purpose to a lot of these things that they're saying, because if the conclusion that Picard came to at the end of the episode was he must question Q now, then if you go back to what Rafi said around episode two or episode three, where she said, and you just played along with them this whole time, essentially saying you never really questioned why he's doing this. You just played along. It brings more relevance to that statement. Because it's about Picard not just playing along. Like, listen, look within yourself and try to fully examine what Q is actually trying to do. What is his purpose, Picard? Rather than just simply playing along so you can get him out of your hair for the time being, what is his motivation for all of this? Yeah. So from all of this, everything we've discussed, we learned the reason behind Picard's reticent behavior that exacerbates his intimacy issues. And it's... As you put it, Dave, it's his mother's mental illness. Is his her? They don't come out and say what she's suffering from, but I think it's dementia. Do you think so? I, I just felt like it was some deep melancholy, which is basically depression, right? Serious depression. Yeah, it could be serious depression, but like from all from all aspects of like how the story was. Oh, she's out, a nympho. Oh, <laughs> that was it. That was it. It was it. To me, it seemed like the 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 uh, symptoms that she was going through was depression or dementia, because like she was being a danger. Apparently, she was being a danger to her entire family. Well, that's why her father acted the way he did. And her story, unless that was his own memory, again, that part wasn't quite clear. But I got the idea that the stories that she was telling him were about monsters, and you need to look out because monsters are going to get you. Yes. And that then created, you know, how kids' imaginations run rampant. That created this entire story in his head that his father was the monster monster. and that they were trying to run away from him. But yes, his mother's mental illness weighed heavy on him. 
And just like psychology, as well as uh, cognitive sciences will often tell us, you can't always trust your memories because they are deemed unreliable. The, the brain creates false memories. It can merge memories together and memories can be manipulated. And in the mind of young Picard, his father was a monster that his mother had to flee from. But upon examination of the mind via the Cartesian and Socratic methods, he was able to uncover the truth and it was different than what his memories had to offer. His father was not the monster, but instead his father was simply a desperate man trying to help his wife yeah. that suffered from a de uh, debilitating mental illness and sought to protect his child the best way he could. I love that. I love that story because it rectifies, it rectifies such a sad past for Picard. The issues that he had with his father have now been resolved. Yeah. His father is not this shitty individual that he had grown up he had thinking. grown up thinking. I mean, he, TNG, how many times did he, I don't, I, I'm making it sound like it was dozens. It wasn't, it was like two or three times that he mentioned his, his issues that he had with his father. Yeah. But especially when he went back to the farm, the, the episodes where he dealt with his brother, mm -hmm. that's what made those, those moments really, really powerful. Yeah. Because like, and for the longest time, we thought the issues were between the two brothers. You know, one was angry at the other because Picard's brother felt that Picard ran away and he left Starfleet and left the family behind. But in actuality, Picard just basically just wanted to get away from his, his dad because he didn't want to carry on that legacy because of the pain of watching his mom go through mental illness. And Think, it brings, thinking that he was responsible for it, the yeah, father. And it yeah. brings it all front and center of how, in a lot of ways, the story of the Picards is really sad because, like, you start with Picard's parents who are in a shitty situation. They were in a shitty situation, and the father had to do what he felt he had to do what's best to protect his family. Even if that meant protecting his own wife, because mm -hmm. unfortunately, even by today's standards, we still don't know what to do with like mentally ill people. And we do. We, some we very, throw them in asylums. We right? throw them in asylums yeah. and still uh, or drug them up. Yeah. Yeah. And so fucking, and it's, it's so medieval when you really think about it. When you it. think about it, we still, by today's standards, we still don't know what to do with people who are mentally ill. Yeah. And you take a character like Picard, who has always been visualized as a perfect character, this perfect heroic character that we all gravitate towards. He is the greatest captain. But this is his greatest flaw, was the fact that at the end of the day, yes, you could use the excuse he was a child. He had to, his child like mentality had to comprehend what was happening to his parents. So it created this fantasy that helped fixed it. So he, as a child can understand, okay, you can make that excuse, but it still was the incorrect thing to think of because his hatred to his father was just not, it, it wasn't fair. Yeah. It wasn't justified. It wasn't justified. That's it. Yeah. But I, but you know what? I, I like that we finally got an answer to Picard's intimacy problems. 
his 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 inability to be vulnerable in real, any type of relationship, whether yeah. it be romantic or platonic. Was it this episode where they said that even his closest friends call him captain? Yes. If you think about it too, yeah. If you go back to TNG and even like they made a note of it in season one of Picard, they never, re no one really calls him Jean-Luc. They call him either Picard. Oh, Dr. Crusher does. Look out. Well, yeah, because we know that there was With something else going on. Jean-Luc. <laughs> we know that there was more to that relationship than they want to actually put on screen. There's a few times I wanted to change my name to Jean-Luc just so I could pretend <laughs> Gates McFadden was Gates talking McFadden. to me. <laughs> Sean Luke, that disappointing tone all the time. You can talk to me that way if you'd like. But even I'm giving you permission, Gates McFadden. Go ahead. But even even like even like when you look at Riker, what does he refer to him? He refers to him as captain, yeah, or admiral. You th like in the very end, what does he say? You think that I would mess out on all the fun, admiral? Yeah. He doesn't call him Sean Luke. <laughs> yeah. Because no one really is. Sean Luke doesn't. Or Picard doesn't let anyone in. Yeah. So in that respects, David, up to now, looking at see, uh, episodes one through seven, I feel like up to this point, the season has been successful in fleshing out Picard yes. and giving us something new when it comes to him. I will agree with that. I quite a bit. And I think they've done it very effectively and it's worked very well. Now, also, something is up with the continuum. Remember what they said. Dave, I feel like this might connect to Discovery because in Discovery, they said that there has not been a recorded, any recorded contact with the continuum in 600 years. In 600 years. Why would that be? I have a feeling that what's happening with Q is probably going to be the answer. Yes. Okay. So this was all the heart of the, of the episode, everything we've discussed up to this point, it's strength. We've spent. 30 minutes discussing all of its strengths, all, all the right. good things. Here we go. Okay. So this part isn't negative either. So calm down, Dave. <laughs> so <laughs> eager. I'm just uh, waiting. Talon is Romulan. I want to get into that first. Okay. Picard assumed she must be an ancestor of Laris, but I'm still thinking she's the same person. Same here. It would explain Laris's affection for Picard. If yes. she knows the most intimate of intimate situations, something that Picard has never shared with anyone, it would stand a reason that she would feel very close to him. And especially since being a watcher, why wouldn't it be a surprise to find out that Laris was actually truly watching Picard? Because since season one, she's been kind of like his guardian angel. Yeah. In fact, Talon said that typically... Correct me if I'm wrong. She said, typically supervisors will only watch over people of their own species. But sometimes, for whatever reason, uh, the beings that are in charge will have them watch over another. Another. We know of Picard's connection to the Romulan people. So it's safe to assume his importance is not only connected to humanity, but also to Romulus. Romulus. Which would justify why Talus is looking over Renee and then flash forward several hundred years to the future. And now she is overseeing and keeping an eye on Picard because of his close connection to 
the Romulan people. So yeah. it's not that far off. In fact, the, the super beings that are in charge of the supervisors could, e- could easily say, well, Renee is important because of what Picard will do for the Romulans in years to come. Exactly. So the next big element is the realization that the Boar Queen has evolved into something very <laughs> different. This is one of the more interesting side stories. Oh, without for a season doubt. two. We said this last episode that she might be one of the more interesting characters now, which is and very surprising, Dave, because you and I did not like this character last she season. She started as the most hated character. I wanted her to die. I know. So did I. <laughs> I did not like her. But like the fact that Basically, Agnes has turned into the best supporting story in the whole season. Just yeah. is funny to me because, like, I would never have guessed. At first, when they thought about the pairing of Agnes and the Boar Queen, I was like, oh, okay, that this is going to be a little cute little thing, and Agnes will turn out to be, you know, smarter than the average bear and actually outwit the queen. And in the end, nope. You have this element that basically Agnes jumped into the proverbial well, and now she's stuck because the Borg Queen is actually much more capable than a lot of people think. Well, come on. You made a deal with the devil, and you had to known you had to have known you were going to lose. You were going to lose. I mean, Raffi and Seven, this is the part that I like. Raffi and Seven worked to piece together these facts, you know, from the clues left behind. Yeah. And, David, even though this all this whole thing and how and where it led was a rel- was I'd say relatively a small part of the episode. There are heavy implications yeah. that come with this secondary story, even though it was only a few moments and a lot of it points to your theory, Dave. Yep. They all but told us as much in this episode when seven said, I have a feeling that we're witnessing the evolution of a new type of queen. Yes. Uh, so David, I can't, <laughs> I, I can't see any other outcome. I can't see any other you outcome. You have a boar queen who looked like something we've never seen before at the very beginning of the season. Yes. Now we have this new boar queen essentially being born and growing before our very eyes. Agnes is the new boar queen. Yeah. I, I I feel that a hundred percent at this. Are point. they trying to misdirect us? It would feel very odd and unneeded if they were. Now I don't. There's think- no reason to offer that type of misdirection in uh, in a storyline like this. Now I don't think Agnes will turn into a villain. No, I don't think that. I think what we're seeing is just like what Seven mentioned was like this is an evolution of the Borg. I also believe, David, that we're dealing once again with the causal, the causality loop paradox that we were talking about. And I have a feeling that Gerardi, because, okay, what did they say at the beginning of the episode or the beginning of the season? That the Borg Queen has the ability to communicate and notice the shifts between different universes. Yes. Okay. That means the Borg Queen, let's just call her Gerardi, at the very beginning of this season probably did what she needed to do in order to jumpstart what needed to happen in order (laughs) for her to be on that bridge. This goes right back to what we've been saying all season about the causality paradox loop that we're dealing with. Yes. I feel like Gerardi was going through the motions. Borg queen Gerardi was going through the motions. That's why she didn't kill anybody on the bridge. David, this might end up being David. You ready for, Celebration, Dave. <laughs> if this ends up being 
the thing that they're doing. And you were correct with your theory. This might be the greatest theory you ever called. I'm telling you, dude. At that point, I demand to be not named I, lieutenant. You know what? <laughs> this will be your your reward, David. This will be my will reward. Will be that you can. So stupid. As if this is a reward, <laughs> you can take the lead host <laughs> abilities <laughs> of, lead of the Star Trek from the holodeck for at least two or three episodes, and, or, and then I'll I'll probably come up with a really now uh, a really wild out theory. Yeah, and the then entire show them. will become like a complete. You know, theory fast because theory fast. if I don't, just the listeners out there who aren't aware, if I don't keep David, you know, under wraps in check, in check there we go, in check, <laughs> the entire show would be just speculation, speculation. and theory. Oh, absolutely. And, and not cool theories. It would be like no, 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 ridiculous no. theories. It'd be ridiculous theories, you know, like, you know, Cisco is going to show up in the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> David is the internet. David the is social will show media. up in the end you and save those, the day. Yeah, you know those stupid theories that you read on the internet? That's, that's <laughs> usually what David comes up with. <laughs> exactly. Because I want to actually see the world burn, Mike. <laughs> I'm being a little mean, but a lot of your, your theories do veer into areas of you're not doing clickbait like many of those blogs do today. You are taking your knowledge of Star Trek and using it to form your theories. Oh, yeah. And yeah. in a lot of ways, the things you say could very well happen. Could very well happen. But I mean, like. But I think this one, it, if it ends up happening, David, it is your greatest achievement. This one, this on one this is going to be my crowning achievement because I was like, All right, this is the long shot. Because I was like going, the only thing I had in my arsenal was we didn't see her face, which when you take a step back at that time, that's a long shot. I know that this isn't you calling the theory last episode or two episodes ago. I think you called it during the second episode. That is, that is basically the logic, Mike. I mean, if you're familiar with wrestling, like me, Bobby and Greg talk about, mm -hmm. that is the logic of basically the masked wrestler. And basically seeing him unmasked and basically people saying, oh, that's not him because we don't see his face. <laughs> that's the logic. But that, that's the thing is this turns out, honestly, at the very beginning, I was like thinking, oh, there's going to be a wild shot. But now the way the story has been written out, mm -hmm. it's actually a really good I think it, it's a really good idea to, for this to happen because it's definitely a possibility. The Borg need to evolve. Yeah. I mean, they've gotten uh, me and you have talked in the past how the Borg kind of have been reduced into kind of simple, simple it's villains, henchmen, henchmen, almost like it's just like eh, the villain not, of the week or the monster yeah. of the week. Yeah. Now you actually bring it up where they're evolved now. And you throw in the fact that Gerardi is now the board queen who now doesn't think about, you know, resistance is futile. She's a board queen that basically feels that she has to protect her, her collective, preserve her species, preserve her species. Yeah. That's why she calls on Picard and says, save us. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, Dave. So we also, we're given some more stuff about the Illurians. The cosmology of that species just keeps getting more interesting. They apparently <laughs> were engulfed at one point in a war with the Q continuum. Yes. And they struck a truce. Guinan then proceeded to summon Q in a way that felt a lot like her, like she was summoning a demonic spirit. 
I'm not quite sure, like, if <laughs> I'm not quite sure why they chose to do such a thing in that type of, of aesthetic. It felt like voodoo. Yeah. I'm like, that felt very much like something you'd see in the TV show Supernatural, that they're yes. summoning, you know, the crossroads demon. Yes. That's what I was cracking um, up at. I didn't, have like, a, I didn't have a problem with it. I just felt like it was odd. It just, it didn't feel right. But you if, you, if you think about it too, the history of the Illyrians and the Q continuum, there is precedent that we know that they are very uh, uh, beings that are in conflict. It, it, remember in TNG, when Q first showed up, and then Guinan is there. Guinan immediately went to attack Q. And Q was like, yeah. hey, there's a peace treaty between us. Yeah. So are you sure you want to actually fight right now? <laughs> oh, did they actually go into the war before between the, the Yeah, two? I don't TNG, remember. I do remember Q. Uh, I do remember Guinan hated Q. I remember Guinan that. Guinan hated Q. And remember the first time she went to attack him. Yeah, I do, <laughs> and, I do remember that too. I just didn't remember them mentioning uh, a war. Although her, her her version of attacking him is to take like some kind of weird martial arts stance. <laughs> I will say, and, and perhaps this is a negative. I don't know. I, okay. So the new Guinan, as an actor, she's good. She's, she's not, good. she's not bad. I do like her quite a bit. She ain't Whoopi Goldberg. But <laughs> she's not really yeah. playing Guinan. No, she isn't. Guinan is serene and soft-spoken, philosophical, wise. And if this is a young Guinan? We've seen a young Guinan before, and she also acts serene, serene. philosophical, very diplomatic, uh, very charming. This one feels like she has an attitude. Yeah. And a chip on her shoulder, and that is not Guinan. Yeah. And, and maybe it's the time period she's living in. Maybe she's fucking had enough of these motherfuckers, you know, this version well, she, of Earth. I mean, she's made the comment she's made the comment that she's lost faith in humanity. So, okay, if this is the guy in that basically is in that period, I can understand. But you're also talking about a species that has been around for eons. Eons. And you're telling exactly. me that the human species is the only species to ever let you down. Exactly. That's the thing that I'm like it's, trying to. It feels a little weird, it, that part. Th that's what separates this new Guinan from the Guinan that, you know, as a fan, I love the character of Guinan. We yeah. make jokes about She's how fantastic. I'm, I'm I'm very scarily infatuated <laughs> with her. But in all honesty, Guinan's one of my favorite characters because she's always been that peaceful character that epitomizes the friendlier species of Star Trek. She's also the other, just like Q is a philosophical writing device. She's the other, the other one the that's other one. used to help us understand and flesh out Captain Picard as a character. Oh yeah. So, and how they're using her in the season is fine. It's just the this way, version the doesn't way drive right. Yeah. The way she's playing, it doesn't feel very sincere to how Guinan's always been. Yeah. You know, in past iterations. All right. So shortly after we see Guinan attempt to summon Q, who did not show up because obviously he probably was even, he wasn't even aware he was being summoned because he probably has been marginalized down to a simple, lowly human, essentially with no powers. So I knew he wasn't going to show up because the last we saw, he had no more abilities. And that's why he had recruited. Dr. Soon. Yes. Okay. So shortly after all that, we see the FBI raid 10 forward. But this also 
this is also one of the more problematic aspects of the episode to many, not just myself, just things I've seen online as well. Because typically if I feel uncomfortable about something, I'll go to social media just to see if you're not the only one. Yeah. Just to see if there's some, some, you know, some, I need some validation sometimes with, because for the most part, we're very positive, but then when something bothers me, I'm like, okay, am I just being nitpicky? Let me go to the internet and see what people are saying. And it seemed like others were also having some issues with this part. It's kind of more the same, but also when you have people running around the 21st century utilizing the transporter, what do you expect? We live in an era, the 21st century of surveillance. Yeah. Of course, you're going to be seen. You're transporting yourself in broad daylight. Of course, people are going to catch it. We have so many cameras all over the place. We, li- As I said, we live in a surveillance society Big for the most part. Big Brother is watching. Yeah, we live in an era where you can't not be seen. So it makes sense, especially since they seem to really not care about contaminating the timeline because of the Rios thing and the fact that Picard is being transported <laughs> in the middle of broad daylight. It yes. feels a little weird. And I and that's why I have a problem with it because it's out of character. The writers are writing characters. Let me let me backtrack, find a better way to, re- to phrase that. My biggest problem with certain writing styles is when they have characters do things out of character in order to justify something they want to do later. Yes. And it feels like they wanted to have Picard arrested by the FBI for whatever reason to either create some fluff to help slow the story down so they can focus on maybe Gerardi next episode and have Picard and Guinan tucked away, uh, you know, arrested essentially. So it felt like they were having these characters do certain things out of character so that they can justify the FBI showing up and essentially locking away Picard for the time being because the story needs it, at least according to how they want to tell the story. Yes. I think that's my biggest problem with it. It feels a little weak from the writing side. Plus, we've seen this before. Plus, we know with time travel, you don't contaminate the timeline because anything can happen. I don't think Picard would ever play so fast and loose with a timeline, especially exactly. the reason why he even went back in time was to do what? To fix the timeline. Fix the timeline. So why would he be so uncareful with the timeline? Exactly. That part bothered me quite a bit. Well, you're not the only one because this is something that I feel that's been building up in season two is, and it's it goes back to what I was saying, the problem with writing time travel specifically in Star Trek is there's certain rules that have already been established that you would be expected to follow if you're writing a time travel storyline in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. The fact that basically the one thing that I'm glad you brought it up that has bothered me this season is the blatant laziness of the, the crew of the Cerritos Basically saying, hey, we can't we can't affect the timeline. So what do we do? We just randomly teleport people in random spots <laughs> and yeah. hope for the best. Or even better, they had moments when basically Seven makes the comment, I can't tele- I can't teleport him out because someone's going to notice him and then that's gonna affect the timeline. 
that because of the butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. And I'm like going, this episode, the one thing that did bother me was Rios actually bringing the doctor and bringing her son on board the Cerritos. And I get it. It's supposed to harken back to kind of like that Captain Kirk in Star Trek four. And that always bothered me too, because how does he know he didn't rip her from time and destroy things? But it works, Mike, because that's Captain Kirk. Because Captain Kirk don't care. Uh, but also <laughs> Star Trek four was written in the eighties and it was a simpler time. Yes. Meaning yes. writing was a little, it was a lot. Fast a little, and loose. It was a lot more simple. Yeah. It was yeah. fast and loose. Yeah. Rios though, doing it in this one, especially with this type of story that we've been get, getting in season two makes Rios look like an idiot. <laughs> it, it really does because it's like number one, you bring these two people who do not know anything about this technology. And then you tell the doctor just randomly, Oh, I have this. This is how this works. Yeah. And I'm like, going, dude, why didn't you just do it? Why didn't you just do it? Yeah. Because <laughs> she's the doctor. She's literally a doctor that doesn't even know what she's that doing. Doesn't know what Rios, she's doing. You didn't know how to take that device and put it up to Picard's head. It's not like you're performing actual fucking surgery. Exactly. You're using a fucking wand and scanning the brain. The scanning the brain. Yeah. But that, then, that was very weird. And then the weird thing is, and this is something that is a weakness from season one that they carried on. How is it that Rios seems to fall in love with people after five minutes of meeting them? He's Latin, dude. <laughs> Listen, I do the same thing. I'm like, I fucking love you. I love you. <laughs> but it's like, dude, I know she actually fixed you up. I know she fixed you up. Oh, and she got booty too. So come and on, Dave. Don't hate. You've only known her. I would, I would break the timeline. You've only her. known her for like five minutes, a five minute conversation, Mike. And suddenly you want to take her, care of her and her son. No, nah, the son I'm going to leave. <laughs> leave behind. No, you want to take the, and that's the thing, Mike. Rios wants to take the whole package. <laughs> he says, no, I got to take them all. Listen, I would only break the timeline for seven of nine. That's it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But like, I agree with you. That whole entire Rios story, which was maybe, I guess you can say was story, what B maybe story C it was, it started off as story B with seven and yes. Rafi, And then it kind of merged into its own thing. It was just an odd storyline. And it just, I think it came about because they don't know what to do with these characters because yeah. what happened was, they had this larger story at, at the beginning that needed to utilize these characters. Now, as we move closer and closer to just being uh, a more, more of a nuanced look at Picard, they're having problems finding purpose for these characters. L look at seven and nine for the past three episodes. She's pretty much just been in the background. Yes. In fact, I want to say episodes five and six, she maybe uttered 15 words. They're trying, I think they're trying to find things for these characters to do, do now because they had to bring them in for whatever reason. And this is what we get. And that this is the problem specifically this season. The weakest part is Rios because you oh, started. Don't say that. Well, because you started really good with him showing him as captain of the stargazer. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you reduced his story to basically let's do a story about immigration yeah. <laughs> and then when you cut off that, because they ended the immigration storyline, you changed it to a, a romance story of a man out of time 
and bringing these people who are out of time into his time. David, that's a, that's the ingredients of just romance novels. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's great. Isn't there a movie called, isn't there a movie with Christopher Reeves like that, where he travels in time and he's ripped from time? Is it the he, lake house? Nah, no, I forgot. Uh, yeah, there is a, there's a movie that basically is like yeah, that. You're, yeah. That, that's what they're doing with Rios. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So David, overall, I did enjoy the episode. I did not dislike it. Uh, that's why I focus on all of the philosophical aspects, the philosophical aspects the which were very, very strong. And I feel like it was very effective to understanding this character that we have known for, you know, 20 plus years and we're still learning things about him. I think that's quite an accomplishment and the writer should be congratulated for doing such a thing with this character. Yeah. However, the mystery behind Picard's intimacy was that his mother was mentally ill. Yeah. How anticlimactic is that? I think that's kind of weak. It is. You build up 20 plus years of intimacy issues, <laughs> and it's simply because his mother was mentally ill. In one episode. And they discover all this. In one episode. In one episode. That to me feels strange. It's not awful, but it's not very exciting. It's no, it very anticlimactic. It's anticlimactic. Uh, now, that also feeds into what a lot of other people are thinking or feeling about this at this season of Picard. It's weird what's happening right now. So, last season, David, this is my own thoughts here. Completely subjective. Last season, I didn't feel like Picard was written very well. The overall structure was, was not good. No. The story was fine. It's the structure. I think that's what people aren't understanding. When I receive hate mail from people that loved Picard season one, they're not quite understanding what I'm saying. Yes. There's a difference between writing and story. The story was sufficient. It wasn't great, but it was sufficient. It was the writing the actual craft behind how you dispense the story is, is what I had a problem with. Yeah. Despite those problems, this is why I, I feel conflicted, Dave, because last season, despite the numerous writing issues, was more exciting than this season. This season has the writing down pat. I mean, it's good writing. But the story itself isn't really exciting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. That's where I'm at right now because we're moving into the final three episodes and I don't feel very excited. Excited. Because they're dealing with subject matters that unfortunately do not have the pizzazz and excitement you would expect. When you're dealing with, it goes back to what I was like alluding to earlier. When you're dealing with trying to do a philosophical story that deals with philosophical thought and doing it very well, the conflict is not visually exciting because all it is is just a dialogue between oneself. And also they're building momentum in an episode and then they stop. It's like, it's like, forgive my crudeness here. 
it's like you're in the middle of fucking. <laughs> and right when you're about to come, you stop. You stop. And there's no satisfaction. You're just done. Yeah. That's what they're doing with a lot of these episodes this season. They get you going. You're like, oh, okay, great. This is awesome. This is good. And then they step on the brakes and slow things way down. And then instead of going full force into the next episode, like getting things going, they start the process all over again. Exactly. It's like slow, slow, slow. Oh my God, this is great. Okay, stop. Stop. Okay, next episode, we're going to continue this, right? Let's reverse. We're going to continue the excitement. Nope, we're going to start slow, 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 stop. The greatest, the greatest example you, you made was a visual was a visual example that I think you hit it on the head when we were originally discussing when we were coming into the studio was they're taking three steps forward, two steps back. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say like five steps back. Yeah. And no, or no, they'll do, they'll do three steps forward, two steps back. Yeah. They'll take two steps forward, do four steps back. Yeah. And then, and it's like constantly like yo-yoing. It feels like they don't have faith in their story. Yes. And it feels like they have, they know they have 10 episodes and on paper, they only have six episodes and they don't know where to go. And they're trying to fill it up with a lot of just nonsensical aspects. Like for example, the FBI first, we had Rios being arrested by immigration immigration, and that took two episodes. Then we have now Picard being arrested by the FBI. I or I don't fucking care <laughs> about the Federal Bureau of Investigation in a Star Trek series. I don't fucking care about it at all. Now, the actor that played the FBI agent is fucking amazing. I love that actor. He was great in The Shield. He was great in Sons of Anarchy. He's an accomplished actor. Yeah. But I don't give a fuck about the FBI. I don't. Because, like, what's the point? Now, if, it, if we come back next episode and it adds to the excitement and the energy of the episode, then I will take back what I'm saying. But honestly, Dave, I feel like they're trying to slow things down again because they have three more episodes. It feels like they have a story that only took up six episodes. And now they slow things down continually because they're trying to fill time yes. and slow things down. Okay, so David, on that note, I'm going to give this episode an 86%. That was pretty much my final thoughts. Go ahead, Dave. Pretty much just like the episode, it was very simple, and my final thoughts are really simple. I'm a little lower than you. Oh, really? I actually have this as an 82. Okay. It's not my favorite. still a respectable percent. It's still a respectable percent. It's not my favorite episode of the season uh, because of the pacing of the whole thing. I mean, you have – I love philosophical stories. You know this. I yeah. mean, I think our listeners know this by now. But when you have that and then the rest of the stories that you're trying to see fill in the gaps with story B, C, and D yeah. are weak. They're they're just weak. Re, the Rio storyline right now had me irritated. The Raffi and Seven stuff had me irritated. It was cringeworthy because their dialogue basically was, let's talk again about how our relationship was. It was a little adolescent. It was a little adolescent. And story, story D, which was the Jurati thing was the only thing that was interesting, but the problem with the Jurati or story C story C, but story C with Jurati 
there was really not any movement forward. No. She's still basically still, you know, inve- uh, you know, why dealing are, with the queen. Why are we not dealing with that? That that's what makes me feel like they're not comfortable with their overall story. Because how are you not? We win an entire episode without fully exploring what Gerardi is doing. Yes. And the Borg queen. They yeah. give us 30 seconds, which fine. I, you give us something to remind us. And I always say that in other discussions. It's one of the things I liked about Game of Thrones. The earlier seasons, how they were written, how they, they very rarely neglected characters, even if an entire season went by and all we would get would be a minute with one character here, a minute with one character over there, because they would keep reminding us of what's happening in the other parts of the world. Yes. So I can get behind that strategy, but they're doing that a lot with not just character stories, but it's the overall narrative that they're doing this with. And you can't keep stutter stepping your narrative because you are going to annoy viewers, even if they aren't aware of what you're doing because they may not understand the nuances of the craft of writing, but people still understand the effect. They feel it. So that has me concerned because I want people to love star Trek. I don't want people getting on IMDB and all these different fucking chat sites and hating on it. It disturbs me. I don't like it. My complaints are not hate complaints. My complaints are critical complaints. Yeah. That's why I agree with, I mean, you mentioned earlier about the comment that we got on YouTube. And at one point I actually got a chance to actually skim through that. That's the type of dialogue we should have as Star Trek fans. That that truly is. Should we take a few more? We're already an hour and six minutes. Should we take a few moments and read it? Or do we want to wait till next episode? I think wait till the next episode because okay. we're so close to the very end. Okay. But it is a comment that was posted to our YouTube and it's very long. And typically I don't like to read long comments because usually it's, it's, it's filled with hate, but like, this isn't, no, this is actually a very, um, poignant. Yeah. Poignant. Yeah. I, I actually like the comment. I don't agree with all of it, but, but most of it I do, but that's not the point. I have a point to go with that and yes. I, and I will bring it up during our next discussion. Okay. So on that note, we do need to close out today's show. Thank you everyone for sticking with us. Patreon.com slash Rayman Digital Pledge. Join our Patreon page and gain access to additional Star Trek from the Holodeck discussions every single month. You also gain access to all of our pre-shows that we do before our shows. We do need everyone to jump on board the Patreon train. We need a minimum of 100 subscribers by the end of the year for us to continue to do shows. Uh, we had massive cancellation because of like, because of one of our shows that we covered that came to an end. Yes. And we took a huge hit. And that is the only way that we can support ourselves doing these shows. And I'm not talking about support, meaning to feed us. I'm talking about keeping the lights on and having the money to maintain our equipment. Yes. And if we don't have that money, I'm not a wealthy man. <laughs> uh, what, what that means is the show is just going to end. The show has to end. So we have to reach a minimum of a hundred Patreon subscribers. We're sitting at, I believe 83 at one point we had 130. So that's, that's a lot of money that we lost because of the ending of that one TV show. Yes. So please go to patreoncom slash Rayman digital and pledge. 
uh, at least three bucks. That helps. It does. And if we can get 100 Patreon subscribers, we will continue as a network to do our shows across the board. If we don't, then we will have to reevaluate and start doing massive cuts. And that may mean this show. So yep. I don't want it to, but we got to do what we got to do. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.